Bill and Bob's Bracket Busting Bonanza 5B Podcast. I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. Hey, what's going on, Bob? What region are we going to now? Uh, Bill, we are going up to the top white right quadrant, the south region. Uh, the two that are available uh, prior to this recording were the west and east. Uh, and now we are going to do the south. And right after this, we will be recording the Midwest. So all those things will be, be available on Wednesday before the tournament officially kicks off on St. Patty's Day, Thursday, the way the tournament is meant to be done. Yes, it's it's a it's that wonderful once in every. It's really once a, almost once a decade, but it's like once every seven years, I guess at the least. Um, confluence of events. It's like last year when uh, when all the uh, geeks were getting excited because Jupiter and Saturn were in uh, conjunction. That's the way I get when St. Patrick's Day and the first day of March Madness are are in conjunction. It's like. Uh, I start worshiping the pagan gods and, and you know, burning uh, incense and everything else. Uh, amazing stuff, Bill. I, yeah, I the, the pagan part, uh, I'm with you on. 100%. I'm all about burning stuff. Uh, you know who I think is going to burn down this region? The number one seed. Uh, the Arizona Wildcats, coached by Tommy Lloyd, the f- uh, former assistant from Gonzaga. First round matchup they will face one of two teams the 16 teams will face off tomorrow night um march 16th this is actually when this will be released uh wright state and bryant 6 30 tip on wednesday night yeah I, I mean i i guess i'll pick um bryant in that game but I, it doesn't really much matter because um the winner of that game is gonna uh suffer a severe loss to arizona in the first round but then it does sort of start to get interesting for Arizona. So just to, to, to give a little background on Arizona, first-year head coach um, trying to become the first-ever first-year head coach to um, have his first full season with his team go all the way to a championship. Arizona's been number one, two, or three for the entire second half of the season. They've played a great schedule, um, only three losses all year. One to Tennessee by four points. One on the road against, um, I want to say, Colorado, Colorado State. Um, that's their only really kind of shaky loss. And then um, one loss to uh, UCLA in the middle of the season at UCLA. Um, <clears throat> they did get their vengeance in that game, and they beat UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament final. Um, they're an interesting team because... The, the statistics and the um, the analytics guy and the advanced statistics really do like them. But I was going through um, the guys on their team. You don't get to see it quite as much Pac-12, and so I didn't I didn't watch them a ton this year. But I, I did make sure I got to see a couple of their games, and um, they have a, they have a, a couple really good players. Uh, Benedict Mathurin is um, is their leading scorer. He's a phenomenal player. Um, but one thing I noticed that that really uh, piques my interest is they're not a great shooting team. So for they're one seed that everyone expects to go very far. And I, I you know, unfortunately for the, for the Seton Hall Pirates, I think I'll probably have them going to at least the Sweet 16, but, and probably the Elite Eight. But um, they do have some holes on their offense. They don't have a single guy who shoots the three above 37%. And they're not a phenomenal uh, free throw shooting team. They've got... Uh, 
They've got a couple guys who are right around 75%, but they don't have anybody. Well, well they have one guy, their point guard, Kirk Risa, but other than him, nobody who's 80%, and even Kerr is just 81%. So they don't have um, – there, there, there are some, some holes that yeah, you can find uh, in just the Actually, team. I'm going to touch on the two 16 teams real quick before I kind of further your argument on Arizona. Um, Wright State, uh, they had three of the best players um, in their conference, the um, – the Horizon League. Um, not a bad team. They can get up and down the floor. They could kind of score a ton of points. They have a, a number of games where they scored over 80. Um, I I'm, I'm actually have watched Bryant also a number of times. Um, the NEC team. I was hoping that they wouldn't wind up in the playing game. Um, I was hoping that they would kind of get their due and be able to play on you know Thursday or Friday. Peter Kiss, if you haven't watched him, is probably like a lover or hate him type guy. Um, the lead, nation's leading scorer, but he is incredibly obnoxious. Um, Love is just putting on a show, um, but he is fun to watch if you're not Wagner uh, or any of the other NEC programs that he lit up this season. He's from Manhattan, so um, shout out to some of our Manhattan listeners. Uh, maybe they. Where did he go to high school? Do you uh, know that? You know, I should I should have looked it up. Uh, I think it was like a uh, prep school, obviously. Trinity or Saint Raymond's? I don't know if Saint Raymond's is. Um, it definitely wasn't St. Raymond's. It was probably a prep school. Um, whereas Saint oh, okay. Oh, like one of the prep schools in a different well, state. Uh, maybe. Yeah, no, but he, it might have also been a Manhattan prep school, where St. Raymond's is a school in the Bronx that actually has um, people from the Bronx actually go there. Um, I, I get the feeling that Peter Kiss comes from a little bit of money, but he is a fun player to watch. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping that they go by right state. Uh, I would have loved to see him increase – uh, Kirk Reese to go at it, but I don't. I I imagine they're gonna let um, Kerr kind of rest for one more game um, if he's able to go. Uh, he sat out uh, the Pac-12 championship um, with an ankle injury. Um, Kirk mm-hmm. Reese is if he plays. He's kind of the guy who I think is essential for Arizona to, to make the Final Four. Um, Carissa can really fill it up when he gets hot. Um, he takes like something like seven or eight threes a game. Um, I've seen him, uh, a game that I watched earlier in the season, um, they played Wyoming, and Carissa hit like five threes in the first five minutes of the game, and they st- Yeah, very streaky guy. Only a 35% three-point yeah. shooter this year, though. They're not Not like... Percentage-wise, not but, phenomenal. But they, but they need him to be shooting the ball well, um, I think, to really get by some mm-hmm. of these teams, yeah. whether it's Houston, Illinois, um, or somebody who's on the bottom end of the bracket. Um, Christian Coloco is as good of a rim protector as there is in this tournament, um, probably the most most improved player in the entire country. Um, they have a ton of size between him and, and Tubelis. Um, Matherin is you know, probably one of those guys, if they do anything – in this tournament, Matherin is has been kind of Mister Consistent for them. Um, uh, he doesn't shoot it that well from three, but he scores in just a variety of different ways. Arizona can really, really get up and down the floor um, and do a number on teams that way, um, which is why I like them so much. Um, yeah, this, that's actually what the, they they have a lot of possessions and they do get up and down the floor. That's why the um, they're actually a very high-ranked offense, in spite of the fact that they're not a great three-point shooting yeah. team. Yeah, and they, and those and the guys like Tubelis is a guy who could hit, you know, in close. Got a mid, got a mid-range jumper. Matherin is very good in the mid-range um, and really can get to the basket. Also, um, 
uh, Dalen Terry is a guy out on the wing, same type of thing. He can he could hit a three when necessary. He's certainly not um, opposed to taking them, but he's very good in transition, very good at attacking the rim. So, um, yeah, but I think Kreese, uh, Kirk Reese is essential only because he's their guy who really is their – he's their microwave scorer um, in, in that sense of from three-point range. Yeah, it attempted 221 threes in uh, in 30 He's also games. not I, – so I, there, there you go. He's, he's average is about seven three-point Yeah, and he's not uh, – he is their point guard, but he's not necessarily a true point guard in that sense. Um, he's more of a shooting guard. Um, although – Yeah, he leads team in assists. He's got five, but I agree with you. He's not I he's think not the a one thing that um, his – whatever game he's – However many more games he misses, the, the more times that Jay Creer gets at the point is good for them because they could potentially shift lineups a little bit and move uh, Creaso off ball instead of uh, forcing him to you know, be the main ball carrier up the floor and then um, let Creer kind of do the, the dirty work and get Creaso some um, you know, off-curl jumpers and, and whatnot. I think I think you'll see a lot of career, uh, career later in games, especially if they become yep. close for that exact reason. Ball handling, he's also an 85% free throw shooter. So even though he only averages about 20 minutes a game, um, I think he's he's one of those guys you'll see on the court late in a game against, you know, per- perhaps um, Illinois or Houston or, um, or Villanova. In the 8-9 game, we have – Seton Hall, um, they're the third team from New Jersey that we've mentioned so far, and they face TCU out of the Big 12, the nine seed. So um, I will probably have to pass this one on to you, but before I do that, I would like to say um, I think there is a distinct possibility that Jared Roden could have a monster game or a monster two games in the tournament and if Seton Hall has any shot of moving forward I think uh, and as a diehard Seton Hall fan you'll be able to tell me but I think it's got to go through him yeah um, actually the thing I read which actually surprised me about TCU TCU is coached by Jamie Dixon um, formerly of Pitt in the Big East Um, so uh, he apparently had a quote uh, today about oh Seton Hall is a uh, um, a very good veteran basketball team, but we're we're looking forward to Arizona, which I was just like oh that's an interesting quote from a coach who's been around the block a few times to give uh, um, some uh, yeah and his Landry Fields Tr- Pittsburgh's teams uh, were were you know always ranked in the in the top five or top ten and then colossal disappointments in the tournament yeah um but to have like chalkboard um quotes Material, out there yeah. is, a, is a bad idea for the seton hall team that actually has they as good as they've been they tend to play with that chip on their shoulder um you're right though rodin is a guy who i think very quietly over the past month of the season has carried them um they finished the season on an 11 and 2 run going into the big east tournament um and yeah, it's really they're going to go as far as he can take them. Seton Hall still has a lot of size, um, as they have over the past few seasons. Um, the big thing right here that I actually didn't even know of—they're um, something like seventeen and one when they hold teams over under seventy points. Um, TCU not really a great—they're—they're um, they're more of a defensive team than an offensive team. Um, I kind of went through it and didn't 
necessarily counted up, but I was trying to figure out how many games they've actually scored over seventy. Um, but yeah, yeah I, the the teams are very the teams are actually very similar in that respect. Yes, um, and if you look at the the Ken Palm rankings for both teams, um, Seton Hall's ranked slightly above them because they have a slightly better offense but they have about the same defense. One's 24, one's 26 on adjusted defense, and Seton Hall's 75 and TCU's 80. So it's about as, as um, even a matchup as you're going to find. Yeah, and what actually makes me feel better about this matchup um, as a Seton Hall alumni is TCU uh, only – 30% from three-pointers during the regular season. Um, so that's a t- Seton Hall. I've no, I, I've, maybe it's just a gut thing or just my uh, my own t- eye test. I feel like when they struggle, it's because they lose sight of guys and give up wide-open threes. It happened uh, both meetings against Marquette. Um, but when they get into their – and they are motivated to play defense, um, they, they, they blew out uh, Creighton by 20 um, just by – on pure defense and grit alone. Um, Kadari Richmond is actually the guy who I'm very intrigued to see how far they can take him. He had a wrist injury in the Big East tournament, and it seemed noticeable, but he is a tough guard who um, can play in the post and score inside with size, and he also likes to get into the passing lanes and and pick pockets and and get out. So, um, yeah, I do like... I'll be interested to see um, how much playing time Aikobiagu gets. Um, especially if you go against teams that have some size, because he, they, you know, while he's, he's he doesn't have the offensive skill set yet, it just hasn't he just hasn't developed it. He is an excellent rim protector. He's averaging over three blocks a game in very limited minutes. He's he's definitely a matchup guy um, when teams have mobile big man who can you can use in a pick and roll. Obiago would kind of be on the bench for uh, you know after say three or four minutes of the start. Um, so if TCU has a big body in the post um you'll definitely see obiagu pick up more like you know i'd say in the 12 to 14 minute range um but he's certainly somebody who can impact the game um he his i mean offensively he just hasn't grown enough but you could still see him um kind of make his mark on the offensive end just where the if they're getting going with uh roden and kale getting in the lane you could see uh, Obiago catching a couple lobs and, and stuff with it, like that around the rim. So he's definitely a player to watch. Um, let's move to the next uh, pod there. We have um, the five-seeded Houston Cougars and the UAB Blazers, who are the 12 seed. Yeah, so um, I spoke earlier about a potential landmine that I see for Arizona earlier, and I think if there's going to be one, it, it could probably it could be um, a Houston team. Houston is um, in a turn of events because they really hadn't had this in previous years. They've got some decent three-point shooters. Um, Fabian White Jr. Um, shot it at almost 40%, and um, Kyler Edwards is like 33. Um, they, they score significantly better than they did last year, and their defense is still top-notch. Their defense is uh, a top-10 adjusted defense, but for the first time that I can remember their offense is a top 10 adjusted offense. Um, Houston is the one team that as a five seed is way, way, way overseeded as far as um, the Ken Palm rankings are concerned because Ken Palm has Houston as the number four overall team in the country. So while you take all that with a grain of salt, when it's, when the difference, when the Delta is that large, 
it's something to I think you really should take note of. It's like okay, there, there's something going on with the analytics of Houston. They could probably they could they have the potential to really. Um, make things difficult. Yeah, and they've had an impressive season with um, their leading scorer, Marcus Sasser, going out for the season. So they, And they also had a role player go out. Um, I think pretty much yeah, ex- everyone Exactly, but Fabian that. White, um, like you said, and Edwards both had very good years. White in particular, um, as a forward who could shoot basically 40% from three, is definitely a difference maker. Um, UAB actually has a um, uh, Seton Hall player, uh, former Seton Hall player. He was I don't. I don't want to say he was asked to leave leave the team, but he transferred to Tulane and he's now at UAB. Uh, Jordan Jelly Walker, who I think a lot of people fell in love with in the Conference USA tournament. Um, he's a Jersey um, played at St. Patrick's, um, and he definitely has a ton of flair. Really small guard, um, but he is quick as hell, and his scoring and shooting has improved. Tremendously since he was at Seton Hall, a guy who's shooting forty percent from three on the season and averages twenty points a game. He is lightning quick. Um, so if Houston is to um, beat UAB, they really need to te- keep Walker. Um, I think I don't want to say out on the perimeter, but they need to keep they need to keep him uncomfortable. Um, so I think just being f- physical with him because he's a smaller guy, I think running him off the three-point line and then doubling him when he gets close to the paint uh, force him to give up the ball, and I don't think UAB is um, will be primed for the upset if they're able to do those two things, is, is keep him off the three-point line and keep him um, to be keep him out of the paint and passing it to other guys. Yeah, I, I would agree with that statement. Um are you taking Houston in this game? Normally, I would like in years past, this would be a game that I would pick against Houston, but I'm actually going to pick Houston in the first round here to win this 5 12 game. I don't think that they're going to be upset. I think they, they snuck into the Final Four last year like no one has ever snuck into a Final Four in my uh, years of watching the tournament. They were just a very, they did not look like a good team when they went to the Final Four, and then they got stopped by Baylor in the first half of uh, the Final Four game. But um, just barely getting by Rutgers, even. This this is actually a game. Um, but I think this year, I think they'll be. I think they will get through the first round, and then it, and then you have the potential for a very interesting second round matchup. It, it's a game. I I actually, if I'm filling out multiple brackets, I'll be picking both sides of it. I, I'll pick Houston in one and UAB in another, just because I I know the flaws of Houston. Um, they had two losses to Memphis this year, so I feel like athletic teams can give them a problem. Um, so my issue is actually that. Walker could potentially put up a 40 spot. He played incredibly well in the conference. They did beat Memphis in the conference they did, final. And they looked much more like themselves in that game than they did in the, re- in the two regular season meetings for sure. Um, but yeah, Walker is just a guy who, if he gets going, he's kind of got a lot of moxie in him and will keep shooting. And he's had multiple uh, 40 point games this season, including in the conference USA tournament. So. Um, yeah, he's he's an electric player, and he he will be a fun player to watch for at least one game. I think um, yeah, I think there will be a lot of eyes on this game because I think uh, everything I'm seeing is uh, people really liked what he did in the Conference USA. And um, yeah, I, I actually wished he would have been able to stay at Seton Hall to develop more. But the four seed Illinois, they face the number thirteen Chattanooga Mott. So it'll be very interesting to watch Illinois play this year. 
I think um, <clears throat> last year they had a, just an absolutely phenomenal team with great cards. Ayu Disamono was, was phenomenal, and they just got a really crappy draw. They ended up having to go against uh, uh, an experienced Loyola team that had no um, qualms about giving them hell defensively. Um, and they got out to, Loyola got out to a lead, and Illinois could just never crawl their way back into that game. Um, this year's Illinois team is very interesting because it's it's in a similar way to Gonzaga. They're not as good as last year, but they still have the ability to go far in the tournament this year. They have the, the guys that they have back. Kofi Coburn is, uh, is and I, I, I know everyone says Kofi Coburn, but his name is spelled Cockburn, so I, I just want to say Cockburn every time I see it. But I'm aware that all the announcers are calling him Kofi Coburn. I'm aware of that. Um, but, uh, he, I mean, he's having a phenomenal year. And if you look at the schedule Illinois has played this year, they played a really good schedule. They have a lot of good wins. They don't really have many bad losses. Maybe one to Maryland in there that wasn't a good loss. Um, but generally speaking, their losses are close games. Like they, they lost in the tournament by two points to uh, Indiana, who's a tournament team, and needed it a little bit more than they did. And um, if you look at uh, this bracket – a four-point loss they had in a back-and-forth game this year was against the number one seed in this region, Arizona. So if Arizona plays, uh, if Illinois advances past Houston and wins this, or wins in the first round and then advances past Houston, you could see a rematch of that game, and I can guarantee you Illinois is, has no fear whatsoever of Arizona because in their minds they probably should have won that game. Uh, Coburn, though, just to get back to him, like, He's he's as good a big man as there is in college basketball, um, minus maybe the fellow on Kentucky. Um, he's 21 and and 10 and a half, and uh, an absolute beast inside. You know, a, a, a man among boys. Yeah, Coburn, uh, just a really really uh, good season out of him. Curbelo, one of the guards who actually came off the bench for them last year. He was their sixth man. He's back in the, that role this season only because of concussion issues. He missed a significant amount of time, and he's been really, uh, I'd say, a shell of himself where um, he has not been the same player he was last year, and it's it's really going to play a key part um, in how far this Illinois team can go is whether Corbello could kind of get get his mojo back a little bit. Yeah, he, um, he shot the ball extremely poorly this year. But you know someone who, who has the potential on Illinois to uh, explode for a lot of points is Trent Frazier. Frazier's had a couple I, games this year where he's popped out. I mean, he's had a couple games where he's been really quiet. He's had a couple games where he's popped out 30 points. Yeah, the guy I actually was going to say was was the other um, <laughs> their other guard, Plummer. Um, Plummer's far is, more consistent, a far better shooter too. Yeah, he shoots forty-one uh, percent from from three, uh, and is a guy who, when he when he starts hitting, he gets even he gets he's like every great shooter where he you see his confidence rising and he will just start uh, pulling up for more and more jumpers. But yeah, you're right; it was a tough matchup for them last year. Um, I think a lot of people had that Illinois team going all the way or winning, if I recall. Um, Yes. In like the let's say I, there were like 500 entries of Final Fours that I saw in the uh, Jody's pool between um, a bunch of different people, and and Illinois was like the number two um, behind Gonzaga pick. More people picked Illinois in the Final Four and to win than picked Baylor. 
Yeah, the the matchup here in this game with Illinois is to look um, at big. At, there's not too many big men who can um, kind of keep Coburn in check, but um, Chattanooga has um, D'Souza, who's actually um, a Kansas transfer, six uh, nine big man. Uh, he averages seven boards a game, but he's he's got the size and the pedigree from a from a major conference to certainly. Um, to to match Coburn. Coburn, behind him, there's a significant drop off uh, to to their backup big men. So um, it's key that Coburn stays out of foul trouble. And if they can get to Sousa in foul trouble, Coburn could have a. I was about a to say real, that, that the big Coburn's first, first big issue game. will always be foul trouble at this level. Yep. Because he's too he's too big and too strong to uh, to have any issues otherwise. And. The noticeable thing that I saw with him in matchups against, say, like Zach Eadley was Coburn doesn't get necessarily get calls because he's such a strong – not only is he a big man at, at 6'10 and uh, probably like 260, but he is very, very strong, and he doesn't always get the foul calls that he should, he, he should warrant. But, um, yeah, he's got to stay out of foul trouble for Illinois to do something here. This is some. This is actually a game where people are calling for another upset of Illinois. I actually think they get through Chattanooga, and I think if they get a win underneath their belt, um, they're certainly a team that can um, potentially cha- challenge Arizona if they were to get by Houston. So here's another little uh, interesting uh, tidbit. Um, Illinois is um, different from the other Big Ten teams because obviously they're not going to run and gun nearly as much. Um, so their offensive efficiency is not quite as high. It's still very high. They're 23rd ranked offensively in the on Kempom, but um, defensively they're 30. So they're they're actually one of the better defensive teams in the Big Ten. Um, and you can see that if you look at the the games they played their schedule, they held a lot of those teams that were really good offensively and to to a somewhat uh, uh, lower scoring level than than they would have otherwise been held. Yeah, they're definitely um, pretty evenly um, evenly wise with metrics between their offensive and defensive numbers. Um, all right, we're actually going to stay in the uh, Big Ten uh, in the six eleven game. Uh, we have actually it's would probably surprise people um, with the flop here. You have the six seed Colorado State out of the Mountain West, and then you have the eleven seed uh, the Michigan Wolverines out of the Big Ten. Yeah, this is going to be a this is going to be a good game. It's actually super interesting because Michigan's favored in this game as an 11 seed, and you can sort of understand why they had their issues um, throughout the course of the season. Most recently, with uh, Jawan Howard getting into a uh, kerfuffle with another coach, uh, where he was suspended for five games, but he was back for the Big Ten tournament where they ended up uh, ended up losing a game. But Michigan's got one of the one of the things that that um, really wins you games in the NCAA tournament is when you have a, a guy who presents a big matchup problem. And Hunter Dickinson presents a big matchup problem for a lot of teams. Um, he's, he's seven feet. He's got very nifty post moves. And he's a lefty, so it's a little bit unorthodox the way he comes at you. He shoots his free throws pretty well. He's 56% from the field. And he can even step back and hit a, a three from the top of the key um, when they do a little pick-and-pop action. He was over 30% from three this year. Um, 
8.3 rebounds a game. Now, it doesn't sound like that's a lot, but I think that 8.3 rebounds is also a product of they have a lot of guards on uh, Michigan who are who are rebounding guards. So you've got Michigan's a pretty good um, defensive rebounding team, even though they're not a great defensive team. The metrics put them at around 90-something for, for um, adjusted defense. But uh, from a rebounding perspective, they're a pretty good rebounding team. Um, offensively, they are a very good team, and they are dangerous enough to pull off not only this win, but a couple more. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. It's actually unfortunate um, with Colorado State to have – they had a very good season. Their, their marquee win um, early in the season, they had a 14-point victory over Creighton. Uh, the Mountain West Player of the Year, Big Body David Roddy, uh, six six five uh, power forward, who averages 19, uh, 19 and seven. He gets just under three assists a game, but he's actually he's shooting forty five percent from three, and he's got ninety nine attempts. So it's pretty pretty good numbers there out of him, especially the three point numbers are pretty glaring. He is a fun player to watch. Um, it will be interesting to see how he matches up against the uh, bigger Dickerson, um, just because he's giving up so many, um, really so many inches there. Because he's, like I said, Roddy is only six five. Um, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate that they got a power conference team out of their even though they were able to get a low seed in the on the six line. And we so. mentioned the play-in 11 seed power conference teams that could go to the Final Four, and I'm not predicting that they'll necessarily go to the Final Four, but this Michigan team has, even though they're not in a play-in game, they're the first team that's not in a play-in game, they, ha- they are the type of team that you could see making a run in the tournament because they certainly have the horses and they played enough good teams where it wouldn't surprise you. Three seed in the South region is the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, SEC champions, and they will face the Longwood Lancers. Yeah, I, I, I really like Tennessee in this game. I don't think that this is a game they're going to lose. So I'm, I'm actually thinking I'm strongly along the lines of I'm going chalk in this region. Tennessee uh, has an interesting uh, schedule this year in, in the way they played. They have a few losses but if you if you look at the final rankings, their final rankings have them as the number five team in the country. They've played both of the seeds that are seeded better than them in this region. They beat number one seed Arizona in this region, 77-73 earlier in the year, and got shelled by uh, the number two seed Villanova, 71-53 in early November. Now, Tennessee's kind of been two different teams starting with that Arizona game that Arizona game they've had they have I think three or four losses since then but they've all been two top ranked uh teams and and most have been very close games um and they've gotten all of their wins at home against the teams that have beaten them um going through the season with the exception of Villanova and Texas Tech who they lost to in overtime um, they played great in the SEC tournament. Obviously, they won it, uh, beat Kentucky, and then beat a desperate Texas A&M team. That was one of the first teams out of the tournament playing for their lives. So, they, you know, it, it, that was a nice 15-point win for them. Um, I think that they're, they're the kind of team that can be very scary for um, making a run, but I could also see them having issues with uh, Michigan in round two of the tournament. Yeah, what I'm actually just worth noting on that, their win over Arizona, the 
one of the sheets that I'm looking at said was make, saying that Zona was in foul trouble in that game. I actually didn't see that game, so I can't say for my own thing. But it was saying in the four-point victory over Zona that Zona had some foul trouble. But, yeah, I agree with you. This Tennessee team finished in- incredibly, incredibly strong. Uh, I'm looking. It was looks like they finished 12-1, uh, and one, including the uh, Big 12 tournament games. Or sorry, the SEC tournament games. Um, their lone loss came against Arkansas, and they actually beat Arkansas in that stretch as well. Um, and the loss prior to those twelve wins was a one-point loss to Texas. So I mean, they 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 finished very very strong. They and they have good guard play. Um, Kennedy Chandler, excellent guard play. That's, Ken, that's Kennedy Chandler, guard play. the guy who can. Um, but that's also why I I see that they could have a potential issue with Michigan. Um, in the tournament this year, because um, if you look at the the roster that Tennessee's put together, they don't really have a rim protecting big man. So if Michigan plays at the pace Michigan wants to play at, if if this matchup were to happen, Hunter Dickinson could could give them a lot of issues. I if, correct me if I'm wrong because I don't have my tempo numbers in front of me. Michigan tends to play very slow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's, they score. They they are a decent offensive team, but they don't play at a at a pace like the rest of the Big and, Ten and, does. And that's where one of the things that I always say, as far as upsets, if you have a team that plays slow, just less possession. So Tennessee, not necessarily, they don't have a guy who shoots. Um, uh, Santiago Riscovi shoots thirty nine percent from three. Chandler is thirty seven, but after then, there's a little bit of a drop drop off. Uh, Ziegler thirty five, but they're not necessarily a great shooting team. Um, no, but remember also, I, I think it, it needs to be said that, that this sort of um, uh, matchup problems do go both ways with a guy like Hunter Dickinson. Agreed. So Tennessee, even though they don't have any, they don't have a team full of great three-point shooters, they can put out a lineup, and it's, it is their starting lineup, where the average uh, of those five guys is about 35% from three. So they can all shoot it from, from long range. So if they can get um, Michigan into a... Um, sort of a system where they, they pull Dickinson away from the rim and he's not there to one, protect the rim, two, get rebounds, and he's going to have to run all over the place to try to chase guys for threes, that could come back to, to bite them. So I think it's, this will be kind of a, a game of pace. If Tennessee plays at the pace they want to play at, which is a little bit faster, they'll win the game. And if Michigan plays at the pace that they want to play at and slows it down, Tennessee's going to be having problems and, and Michigan should win the game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh Hundred percent there, but um, but as far as the first round matchup goes, I think Tennessee is uh, is very ready to just move on to the next round. Yeah, I think coming in playing as strongly as they are, uh, I mean the Lancers are also coming in on a win streak of their own. Um, but yeah, they, they Longwood didn't really have a. It's crazy as bad of a season as they've had is Georgetown. I'm noticing that was probably the biggest game that um, Longwood played, and they actually were one of. Uh, Georgetown's six wins on the season so that's a, that tells you a little bit about Longwood there despite their strong finish in the Big South um, going down to the final uh, final pod there we have Ohio State uh, the seven seed against the 10 seed Loyola Chicago Ramblers the fighting sister jeans the fighting sister jeans um, yeah so Ohio State is is similar to some of those other Big Ten teams I think this is a very bad matchup for Ohio State. So this Loyola team doesn't have the big man that they had last year. Um, his name's escaping me right now, the lefty. Um, 
the left-handed center. I forget his name off the top of my head, the, the Loyola left-handed center. Uh, um, yeah. But whatever, he did a lot of their offense ran through him last year. Um, and he was a good, he was, you know, even though he wasn't lightning quick by any means, he was a, a good enough uh, defensively that they could cover his uh, weaknesses and, and uh, slow points. This year, they've got most of the other guys back. So Lucas Williamson, if you remember, Braden Norris, if you remember. Um, and these, so they're a very experienced team. These guys can shoot the ball from three. They like to play their own pace. They play slow. They have a deep bench where they go back and they've got a bunch of other guards. Their issue is probably some of the, of the fact that um, they don't have great size. Um, Chris Knight is is their probably their best uh, defensive big man, and he's not particularly big. But um, uh, a lot of their rebounding comes from their guards. Lucas Williamson is their best player. He's he's averaging 14 points, five rebounds, and three assists a game, shooting 40 percent from three, 75 from the line, and and uh, 46 from the field. So he he's a good player, and and um, I think defensively he's a great player. So it. it Ohio State is if they can't play at the pace they want to play at, I, I wonder how they're going to fare against Loyola because Loyola is not going to fall for Ohio State trying to make them play their game. Yeah, it, what I've noticed in the games that I've seen from from um, Ohio State is obviously EJ Liddell is going to score his points. Uh, he's a big man who could big man who could step it out a little bit. Um, they actually have a really good freshman who's entertaining to watch in Brent. Um, Malky uh, Branham Um, but it's the other big man Zed Key who could kind of get into foul trouble and be out of the game for a significant portion or he can kind of be a menace because he's a very strong uh, guy underneath Uh, he could definitely be a matchup issue um, but yeah, I the, the guard play of Loyola Chicago um, and their defensive numbers are actually really what scares me because I've seen oh adjusted defense of Loyola is twenty two and but their adjusted offense isn't terrible. It's forty two for a team like Loyola that doesn't have a ton of possessions. That's an excellent offensive rating for them. So uh, and if you look at um, Ohio State, yes, they've got a great ranked offense. Um, from an analytical perspective, but their defense is abhorrent. It's uh, 131st. Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't don't disagree with you there. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough matchup. Um, it, it really is. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to be kind of picking against Ohio State, also based off of what occurred last year, um, where they were the. Um, the high one of the high seeds to go down on the opening days of the tournament so the two seed in the south is Villanova Wildcats out of the Big East and the Delaware Blue Hens the 15 seed the ass kicking chickens of the University of Delaware um, yeah I, I think I like Villanova in this game I don't think Jay Wright's going to lose to a 15 seed especially one from the Delmarva Peninsula right near Right near uh, South Philadelphia or uh, Villanova, Pennsylvania. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I don't see that happening in this game, um, especially with the type of squad that Villanova has. Um, very senior-laden uh, team led by the two-time Big East Player of the Year, Colin Gillespie. Um, came back from his knee injury. If you watch the Big East final, he really took over at the end of that game. It was it was fun to watch. He hit a couple threes and got two or three rebounds. Um, 
He's averaging almost four rebounds a game this year in addition to his three uh, assists and 16 points, and he does it at a super efficient uh, level because he's shooting 42% from three and 90% from the line. Um, Villanova, like they usually do, they have a couple other guys who can shoot the three. The hole that they have this year is rim protection. I don't. I think that they would, they they would have a lot of trouble with teams if they ha- if they run into a team that has a really good big man, um, or likes to play inside a little bit more. Um, Villanova's been in a lot of close games this year, and they've won most of those close games. And I think you can credit a lot of that to Jay Wright being one of the best coaches, if not, I would say the best coach in the country, and. Um, and the fact that, that his team is experienced and, uh, and, and older. Last year, I think, without even without Colin Gillespie in the tournament, they gutted their way to the Sweet 16 and gave Baylor the best game Baylor played in the tournament. Villanova was right there with Baylor at halftime, um, if you remember, in the uh, Sweet 16 yep. game that they played. Uh, Baylor did, you know, it was Baylor had too much for them in the second half, but... Um, that was without Colin Gillespie and Chris Arch- Archie Giacano, who never played uh, or played maybe four games all year, playing 30-something minutes a game. So, um, And he was sort of an offensive... Uh, um, he, he didn't bring anything to the table offensively for them, unfortunately. Didn't turn the ball over a ton, but still didn't, didn't bring enough to the table. Now back with, with Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels, and Caleb Daniels played really well in the Big East tournament. Um, I'm expecting good things out of Villanova. The way they beat Tennessee earlier this year, it makes me think that they're a good matchup for Tennessee, and Tennessee's probably thinking about that game. So if they do get matched up with Tennessee, that would be good. Unfortunately, they've got to get there. And in order to get there, they play, in my opinion, the the toughest 7-10 team if they uh, if they advance, which would be um, St. Mary. I mean, uh, um, Loyola, Chicago. Yeah, Villanova. Um, I I agree. They're they're going to be a they're going to be a tough out. Um, they actually the the. As a team, their team free throw shooting percentage um, is, I think, 82%. And it's actually the highest in NCAA history. Uh, so if Villanova has a late lead, um, they're basically not going to lose it. Um, if you saw the UConn game in the Big East semis, that's exactly what it was. Um, the interesting look in that game was you had Adama Sinogo, who we've highlighted on on the other pod with UConn, uh, in a really, really good big man. UConn went small. Oh, sorry, Villanova went small against him um, to basically try and see if they can cover him. Um, Gillespie in that game did was not at his best um, scoring-wise. Uh, both teams were shooting the ball horrifically, um, but Gillespie had a double-digit assists. Um, and you know Samuels had hit a few um, threes early in that one, but they, there it was Jay Wright's coaching that got them by UConn in that game um, by going small. So it will be interesting to see how um, they'll adjust um, as their big. And before that, they played a super tight game with Marquette, didn't they? Um, they. I want to say that the, no, they, the afternoon game on on uh, Thursday that was St. John's. St. John's had him by oh St. John's, John's had um, a twenty point lead or something like that, and basically Villanova really came on in the second half. And like I said, they don't miss free throws, so they it's they're a tough out in that. <laughs> and they proved that because they got fouled on the last play of the game yep. and made two free throws for a one point win, right? Uh, yes, uh, but right now Samuel's. Um, 
more of their power forward, their center, uh, Eric Dixon, um, has dealt with. Actually, both guys have their own injuries, but Dixon has been some sort of virus that has kept his minutes down. So actually, it's, it will be interesting to see how that impacts uh, Villanova further because they don't have the big bodies um, to match up at all if they get in foul trouble. Um, they just don't really – and they don't have a ton of depth um, to begin with either. But again, as you said, Archie Diakno um, last year played bigger minutes than ever, and they hung around with um, – with Baylor. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's they're going to give whoever they play a, a great matchup if they get that far. And and you know, I say that Loyola is a bad matchup for Villanova, but on the same on the flip side of that coin, the the big conference teams that a team like Loyola doesn't really want to see are the well coached, senior laden teams that are sort of like like mid major style teams in big conferences like a Villanova, because you know. The, the Villanova's used to teams like that, so they could. They, they, it, it, there's a flip side to the coin where Loyola wouldn't. Loyola probably wasn't thrilled about Villanova being their two seed. I think Loyola would have much preferred to play a two seed that maybe was a little bit younger, but more and more talented, but wasn't expecting um, the kind of punch that Loyola is going to give. They're not going to shock Villanova by anything they're doing. Villanova doesn't play at an extremely no. fast pace either so it's not like Villanova will be out of their element playing at Loyola's the, pace. Villanova's big shortcoming which uh, we kind of both touched on as far as their, their big men is their interior defense in Big East play they gave up 48, 48, uh, 48% from two point uh, range to, in Big East play so not a great number um, to be given up that many points uh, th- that type of scoring oh, basically 50% inside so that's, that's, a, that's a tough number they'll have to improve a little bit there um, and like I said, they, they do have nights where they, they will keep shooting, but they have had some poor, poor nights from three. But, yeah, I, Gillespie, that Biggie's final, I think, showed um, that he has – he's got a little uh, left in him um, as far as uh, some drama in the NCAA. Let's uh, just – Yeah, and just to touch one more thing, uh, to add to what you said about Dixon – He's actually shot the ball from three-point range very well. He hasn't taken a ton this year. He's only taken 27, so he's averaging about one attempt a game. But he's made 48% yeah. of his threes this year, which is, you know, from a six-foot-eight, 255-pound guy who's going to be their big man, that's important because if they play a team where they need – if they end up playing a Michigan or a team where, where they want to stretch the floor and pull the big man out – Guys like him have to be hitting Big those Biggie Semis, actually, uh, his first minutes in the second half came off the bench, hit a three, and then immediately went back to the bench. Um, let's quick, uh, anything else going away in this conference that we haven't touched on in this region? Yeah. In this region? No, I, I think um, I think it's going to be – so we, we did a, a podcast yesterday. Scoreboard um, Addicts. For, with uh, the Scoreboard Addicts podcast with, with a couple uh, of guys that uh, – invited us on and we talked about the um uh, we had to pick a final four and i don't know if this is necessarily my final four but i did take villanova over arizona and i think i based that on if both teams get to the elite eight and i think arizona is going to have a tough time with the illinois or houston game no offense i think they will be able to to get through seton hall um but if they do end up in the elite eight a first year coach in arizona against a seasoned experienced veteran like jay wright in the Elite Eight, I think, might tip the scale in Villanova's um, direction because I don't think Villanova fears anybody that they're going to play this year. Um, there's some teams that don't don't match up with 
against well. If they were to play a Gonzaga, those two big men would give them nightmares, I think. But against Arizona, I think they have a very good chance if they were to make it that far. They've got to do the. They've got their their work cut out for them to do that, and I don't think Tennessee is going to be an 18 point pushover. And as like somebody who likes season. Arizona as much as I do, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree that Villanova is not going to be. Um, they're not going to fear the moment, and Arizona definitely has. Um, they don't have the anywhere close to the experience that Villanova has. Um, it's just, and it's a matchup of styles too. You have a team that, like Villanova, they're going to slow it down. They're going to play at their pace no matter what, and Arizona is going to play stretches at a breakneck pace. Um, so it would definitely be a contrast yep. in solids for sure. Uh, Bill, that concludes it for the South region. Uh, we're going to move on to the Midwest. I will see you in the Midwest, and let's, chan- let's finish this thing out. Adios.